Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. A new deal will change the way millions of viewers watch TV. A former reality TV expert speaks up on why she left Australia's biggest show and can three TV networks survive the next five years? All that and we'll speak with Beck from Maths on the podcast where people in the TV industry get their news. TV Black Box, the podcast is coming up. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. This is TV Black Box, bringing you the inside goss from the TV industry. Hello there and welcome to another big edition of TV Black Box. Sarah Monaghan's in the house. Hello, Sarah. Hello. And if I suddenly disappear, it's because I've got the cutest eight-week-old puppy you've ever seen taking a piss on my rug. (laughs) Aaron Ryan is here with us. Hello, Aaron. Hello. Yes, and if I take off, it's just to have a piss. (laughs) <laughs> and the other person joining us is usually on the pierce. It's <laughs> Dan Bennett, Dan filling in for Rod this week. Hello, Dan. Hello, Rob. How are you all? <laughs> Mate, it is back. good to have you back on the TV Black Box podcast. It has been uh, a while. Looking forward to your triumphant return and hearing your views on the big topics of the week. Indeed. Let's get into it because regional television is in for a major shake-up with word Wynn is looking to do a deal with Nine for affiliation rights. Wynn had been the traditional regional affiliate for decades before Nine chose to do a deal with Southern Cross in 2016. The SMH now reports Nine has refused to sign a new agreement with Southern Cross which will allow Wynn to enter negotiations. In 2016, Wynn refused to meet Nine's demands for a 50-50 revenue split. Since running 10's programming, Wynn has fallen from number one to number three in terms of audience share. Dan, there's no real surprises that Wynn would want to get back with Nine, is there? Well, it makes sense, right? So I always associate Wynn with Nine. I spend a lot of my time in regional New South Wales now, so they are our our stations. And it was so confusing when it switched over from Wynn being a Nine product to Wynn being a Ten product, Southern Cross became a Nine product, and it just became really odd because it's not just the branding but it's also your news services switch channels and it's just entirely confusing so no surprises at all whatever they decide to do i hope it lasts because it just needs to have some stability down here people are you know a bit elderly sometimes down in the down in the regional areas and get a bit confused i know my grandmother doesn't like trying to figure out which channel bruce roberts is going to be reading her news on so some stability would be good. Well, after getting used to it, she might have to get reused to it. This is going to be interesting from the news point of view, Aaron, because Nine currently produces local news as part of their agreement with Southern Cross. So it's actually likely we could see some job losses if Nine does a deal with Wynn because Wynn do their own news. Well, yeah, that's definitely possible. Um, well, here's my understanding of the situation. Um, as we know, media laws changed a few years back, uh, meaning that the main metro networks were allowed to buy out regional affiliates because of the 75% reach rule was scrapped. Um, as we know, Seven unsuccessfully tried that with Prime. Now, anyway, in terms of Nine, I'd always thought Southern Cross was a good fit because if Nine already had the newspapers and the radio, they would just be this huge full Australian player however nine cannot buy southern cross because of the other media laws at the moment nine cannot own most of their radio stations that they have already acquired and own the ones from southern cross so if they bought southern cross they would have to actually sell off a lot of it um, however if they buy win they can create a national network and it's, it's straight out so based on all of this i think the long-term strategy um, for nine would be win because um, that would just be a and, you know, just swap it around and they would be able to own the network. And for 10, they could buy out Southern Cross uh, straight out because they can own the radio stations that Nine can't. So a little bit of a spanner in the works there. I think um, uh, Nine for the long-term strategy might actually go uh, back to win. 
Well, here's the thing. It's always been a strange relationship between Win and Nine because Win always thought because of its dominance in regional markets that it was in a stronger position than Nine. Uh, I know that from a news point of view, there's certainly been tussles, shall we say, in the nicest possible way. And I think by 2016, Win and Nine were completely over each other. They've had a five-year break and Win's probably come to the harsh realisation that being affiliated to 10 is a death knell because their brand, I think they thought their brand was bigger than the programming. And the fact is people go where the content is, not reliant on brands. And if you haven't got that strong content, which if we're just basing it on Metro ratings, 10 does not, um, we need to get back in the game. And so a 50-50 or even 60-50 revenue split with nine it's certainly a better proposition if they've been losing a lot of money over the years. So it will be one that's very interesting to watch. All right. It was the onset accident we've been talking about for months, but now we finally know the truth about what happened to Denise Drysdale while filming Seven's game show, Holy Moly. Drysdale was shooting at 3am and had electrodes attached to her body, which were activated when she missed the putt. Here's what happened. Give us your little furry hand. Ouch! Oh, 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 that doesn't look good at all. Oh, I've done my shoulder. What happened? Okay, did she just fall on her shoulder? By a single blade of astroturf grass. Three. Now I look like Hannibal Lecter. Oh, can you believe it? Look at this. I'm in a sling. That bloody gopher. Always getting a gag in. The footage shows Drysdale chasing a gopher character around the set and falling over a mound on the course. The fall resulted in a broken shoulder from which she is still recovering. TV Blackbox first reported last year seven executives were considering whether to run the footage on air, but the decision did not help ratings with the show coming in behind maths and The Amazing Race. Sarah, I've been very keen to see this footage because I've had so many conflicting reports. I've printed conflicting reports. I've got to say, though, this was hard to watch. This was an elderly lady taking a big fall. I didn't like seeing it. Well, I mean, yeah, I don't I don't know if I haven't watched it because I, you know, just I don't really want to see her get hurt. It just mm. I mean, I know everyone kind of wants to see it, but at the same time, I kind of just feel bad for her. And I mean, ow, like and, and if ratings didn't help, I guess nobody else wanted to see it either. Mm. I wanted to see it because I've been through the ringer on this story just quietly, so I was very keen to see it. But, Dan, you posted on social media that you thought everyone had gone over their to- over the top in their reporting of this story. Well, we'd be led to believe that there was sort of great negligence either on the part of the production company or some reports were saying that Denise herself was in the wrong and it kind of turned out to be that it was just a bit of an accident. She just sort of tripped Mm. over some AstroTurf. Um, I'm not sure why they decided to show it because it didn't value add anything to the program. Um, It was sort of over as quickly as it began and, yeah, really didn't offer anything other than kind of an uncomfortable few minutes. I have to say I hadn't watched Holy Moly much at all. It wasn't my cup of tea i did make a point of tuning in just to see that moment but it wasn't enough to keep me around for the rest of the program so i'm not sure that whatever the thinking process was behind making sure it got to where necessarily had any benefit whatsoever maybe they just wanted to prove that it wasn't negligence and it was just an accident very good point that could be yeah i think it'd be strange though not to show it though because otherwise she had to be taken off the show and she couldn't Mm. progress further with the next part or into the next section of the thing she uh, you know, they would just have to put up a thing like Denise was injured and she's just disappeared. I they mean, could have just did, not shown her, her bit. She, she did just fall over, though. I mean, she did break it. We sympathise about it more because we know what happened after the fact. On last night's show, one of the fathers actually fell over and did exactly the same sort of thing. And his arm was actually in a... um in a sling and you saw him from, from the, um, from the, you know, from the crowd sort of waving it with his arm in a sling. And that wasn't a big thing. Cause you just think, well, afterwards I assume that he's okay. It's just cause we know the whole backstory with Denise. It just seems a whole lot worse to watch it now. 
Yeah, but I'd come back to it. I think it would have looked like Seven were trying to hide something if they hadn't shown it. I will also say that by showing it, um, it shows that the truth was somewhere in between all the reporting. She wasn't chasing a golf buggy, but she was chasing the gopher. So there was a bit of mucking around, but it was on set during filming and it was Denise doing what she does. Mm. But there was a mound that was hard to see. And as she was chasing that character, there's no way she would have seen that raised area. And you can see how this accident happened. This is not a course. I've stood on those um, courses uh, and, and I when I did my set tour. You should not be running around that area. It is dangerous. Um, there are some courses where you're right next to water that you could easily fall in. And I remember there was one bit where we were going up to have a chat with Sonia and the publicist that was with us was saying, please be very careful. There, These courses are full of, you know, little raised areas because, you know, it's not a flat surface. And, and we had to be really careful walking along the course. So to be running like that, it, it was an accident waiting to happen. So it's just, and, and I'm not blaming Denise when I say that. I'm just saying that it's really unfortunate. But Aaron, here's the big question. Will Holy Moly be back? It has started on such a high and it has crashed and burned. Have seven just burnt it to death or could they bring it back next year, which we're hearing whispers of that if it did come back next year, it would be once a week at 60 minutes like it should have been this year? I think the answer is both. Uh, it would be good for the show to come back next year, do it differently, cut it down once a week like they do in the in the US. But your first part, I think they might have cooked it or they burnt it. It's... um. We've seen it now. It just feels like bringing it back, I can't see a huge uptick in the ratings. You know, they might get an extra few thousand viewers. It's not going to get an extra 200, 300,000 viewers that they need. Well, isn't that the problem, Dan, that people have turned off? They're not going to come back. And it's such a shame because we've just seen over in the States that they've commissioned two additional mm -hmm. seasons because it's airing as it should for one hour a week. Um nice and tight format so it had the potential to be a big hit for seven um i think it's a real shame that they've sort of done with it what they have can they save it i don't know um but i suspect they'll try i'd be very surprised if it doesn't get picked up again to at least run it up the flagpole and see if the audience will come back to it maybe air it later in the year save it closer to summer it's a bit of filler viewing as you said one hour a week they'll give it a shot i don't know if it's going to work though I don't know either. And it's a real shame. I like the show. Mm. It was just too much for me. Uh, we'll see what happens. I think it all comes down to whether they can find a replacement. And they also have the course that they've built to sort of monetize yes. uh, and, and make worthwhile building. We'll see what happens. All right, let's move on. Well, when Married at First Sight expert Dr. Trisha Stafford first left the hit series, she cited the reasons as wanting to focus on her academic career. However, she's now told Women's Day New Zealand that the reasons were much more complex. And she said, By the end, I couldn't compromise my professional and personal standards because there were participants on the show who I felt shouldn't have been there. She called it a tough gig psychologically and compared it to experiencing conflict in war zones. Sarah, I always have my doubts when someone walks away from a hit show, whether they were pushed or whether they chose to go. Um, but I don't know the truth behind this, so she could have very well chosen to go. Um, what do you think here? Is it hard for these psychologists that are meant to look after people when they're working on a show like this? I mean, we've all seen the show and, like, what a shit show some of those couples are. And I'm sure that the psychologists take a lot of flack from the public because we all watch it and we're like, how did you let these people come on here and be together? And I would say if she put one reason in Australia and then overseas she said a different reason, I would go actually believe her because she may feel more comfortable talking to a different place about what her true reasons were because maybe in Australia she had to kind of give a nice reason oh, and then when she talks overseas she can say whatever she wants and what she really feels um but yeah I mean I look at that show and I'm like yeah I, I wouldn't want to be one of those shrinks you know putting any like having anything to do with it because I, I mean some of those people are train wrecks and it probably does reflect poorly on them professionally down the road 
if anything happens because they're like, well, you were in charge of those people and this happened and that's on you. So I would, I mean, if I was them, I would walk away before anything ruined my career. Well, Dan, it's interesting. On this podcast, I think over the years we've been pretty harsh on the experts on Married at First Sight, but I spoke to them a few weeks ago for the Ange Robin Robbo show. And Mel Schilling, who actually listens to this podcast, hi, Mel, um, I could really tell there was a sense of care from them, just speaking to them about the participants. It wasn't the harshness that I expected. It wasn't the lack of care. I genuinely did get a feeling that they do care about the contestants. Um, But they're also trying to make a show, right? Mm. Yeah, look, that's interesting to hear. I certainly didn't assume that they didn't care about the contestants, but I do find this reasoning from her, and maybe we should cut them a bit of slack because they're not TV people, they're from a completely different profession, but I do find the excuse a little bit, or the reasoning, a little bit disingenuous. I mean, you're walking into a reality television show that is based around putting two strangers together. And yes, you can have good intentions in doing that, but you can't be terribly surprised as a psychologist that <laughs> that's going to go pear-shaped and that it may end up with some hurt feelings and some... And it took eight seasons. And, right, and exactly. So it's not something that sort of sprung on her. Um, I, I would be surprised if she jumped and wasn't pushed, but, you know... Well, yeah, maybe maybe the producers yeah. and her got into a fight over, I don't think this is right and we should be better with these people and production's like, but we want the ratings, so you're going to do this. And finally she got to a point where she was like, do I choose the living mm. people on the show or do I choose the guy who's paying me? You know, And that's got to be a hard place. But see, it does come back to, Aaron, doesn't it? These participants taking part, are willing participants. They're not being forced onto this show. They want their 15 minutes of fame. And it's not going to be an easy ride. Otherwise, it would be boring TV. Yeah, it would. Yeah. I think they're portrayed most of the time exactly how they're... um they come across but i suppose that's a whole different argument that we can have again on with with this lady i think on one hand the network could have sold it um as an observational experiment seven did that with bride and prejudice which might have seemed bitchy from a promo point of view but it actually was i know a lot of people don't agree with me it was actually an interesting program it was about family struggles and different types of parenting values morals prejudice and generational change so maybe nine sold it that way uh, when she signed up for it however the reason i tend not to think that is that she stayed there way beyond season Ugh. one or two it mm. would have clicked to her after season one or two that this is a kind of a ratings grab and it's just a, a marriage version of the real housewives you know sort of thing um and she kept collecting the money and then after what seven seasons or eight seasons she takes the high road i don't know it just smells a bit funny to me yeah, you never know. And she did say in the article that, uh, you know, she felt there was a turn in the way the show was being produced. So you never know. Hey, on maths, though, we are speaking to Beck from maths a little later in the TV Black Box podcast. This lady has been the centre. She's the one who said he he looked at me like I was sex on a stick. She's copped <laughs> a lot of criticism. So it was really interesting to get her reaction, one, to the dinner party after Monday night's episode. We spoke to her straight away. And also the commentary around her and why she's been reacting the way she has. So if you are a maths fan or even just a TV producer, it's actually quite interesting hearing her viewpoint on how the show's coming together and where she's coming from. Let's move on now and take a look at the ratings race from last week. And it was a big week for Nine, which romped home with a 31.9% network share, followed by Seven on 24.7, the ABC on 17.7, 10 was in fourth place on 17.7, 17.5 and SBS on 8.2. Nine also won the demos 16 to 39 and 25 to 54. The Australian Open final was best for nine with 1.17 million and Married at First Sight is delivering strong audiences. Holy Molly continues to fall for seven but the Cube on 10 got off to a cracking start with 573,000 viewers. It was 10's best for the week. Aaron, what did you think of the Cube? Will it hold? Yeah, it, everyone's saying about holy moly, three nights a week, it should have been one, it should have been an hour. The Cube is exactly that. It's it's a strict one hour, but the show is just, I don't know if it's going to hold just because it's not that great. The challenges are really boring. It's like, you know, how to collect six balls without them falling on the floor. I mean, it's just, it's, it's 
<laughs> I don't know. Ouch. It's, it's just kind I of, liked it. Did you? Know, I don't know. Just watching I that did. week week after week, though. But, you know, like in terms of, you know, the ratings, I think seven, look, they're going to be hugely disappointed with a start for this year with Holy Moly. Um, I, I thought I, I thought the Celebrity Edition might have ticked up just a little bit, you know, um, because it was a one-off spe- special. Um, but in hindsight, Seven would be happy that um, that they played the episodes against the Australian Open. Only five episodes aired against Maths. Why Swap hasn't been hugely great, but that they've only got six episodes. So after this Thursday, there's only two episodes to air. Um, so I think this is not a case of Seven having months and months worth of episodes, and they're of something that they're gonna it's gonna be a real shit for them for a long time. Um, they'll turn now to Ultimate Tag. I'm not sure how well that will go. The front bar returns on the 17th of March. AFL is back on the 18th of March. Big Brother's coming soon. Farmer wants a wife. So I think we will see a a change, but it might just be a um a few more weeks. Um, but you have to call it. Nine are doing fabulously at the moment. Yeah, they are. Seven uh, will obviously come back strong with the AFL. But, Dan, looking at these ratings and a pattern emerges where 10 is constantly coming forth behind the ABC. In fact, the ABC beat 10 in the overall ratings last year. Uh And as revenue diminishes, as audiences diminish, how long can 10 hang in there? Will we see within the next three to five years 10 pack up shop? Well, I don't know. I was reading this morning an interview with Bev McGarvey um, saying that revenue was up for linear broadcast 24% or something in the last financial year. So I'm not quite sure how that's all playing out given the ratings are sort of, you know, Well, that's steady. interesting. Seven's um, profits didn't seem to indicate that. Seven's profits seemed to came, come from cost-cutting was the way I read that. So, Seven's, yeah. Yeah, so yeah, the, yeah. the idea that... 10 increased profits. Maybe they did because they had a better year last year. They also do have big, shiny shows that sponsors like to lap up. You know, Holy Moly, Ultimate Tag are not going to be shows that sponsors are going to be diving at in the same way that Survivor or I'm a Celebrity or those bigger shows um, will attract. So I don't know if 10 can survive. I certainly hope they do. Um, I find that their primetime lineup is more interesting to me most nights than certainly Sevens. Seven's sort of a bit in all sorts at the moment. People watch the news. It's the highest rated show of the night. And then half the audience switch off at seven o'clock and don't come back. Um, It's going to be really tricky for them with ultimate tag. And I think they can't, you know, waiting till Easter for Big Brother again is, you know, the first quarter of the year is kind of down the toilet. Yeah, but they've certainly held on better in this first quarter than they did last year. Yeah, a little, a little. It's going to be interesting to see. Like you, I don't want to see 10 disappear, uh, far from it. But I worry, you know, I I worry as more streaming services pop up, um, they're going to be relying on Paramount Plus big time. But, you know, outside of those subscription streamers, catch-up just can't deliver the same kind of revenues as Uh. linear broadcast. Uh. And you can talk about BVOD as much as you like, but realistically... You can't get $80,000 for one spot on a catch-up service like you can on broadcast TV. Yeah. Simple maths. Anyway, we'll see what happens. Let's move on. And the 78th Golden Globe Awards took place this week and, like many events now, looked a little different. Nominees and recipients zoomed in from home. Hosts Amy Poehler and Tina Fey were on opposite coasts of the country and the audience was made up of healthcare and frontline workers. Big winners included The Crown, Shits Creek, Borat's subsequent movie film and Normanland. Um, <laughs> who saw the broadcast? I watched the whole thing because we were reviewing it for the TV Binge Box podcast. So Which I watched, is back. It is back. You can listen to that episode now. So I sat through all three excruciating hours of it. Um, and it was excruciating. Oh, it was. Look, it's always – it's a bit unfair, I think, because obviously the challenges were going to be immense given the way they were trying to broadcast. But there were some elements that really were kind of unforgivable. I don't know why they had Tina and Amy on separate coasts because they just lost the – dynamic yeah. sort of banter between them. It just didn't play um, in separate rooms. And, and wheeled... to be honest, Dan, though, I don't think that made a huge difference. Their opening comedy routine was more like a snarky routine. You know, at least when Ricky Gervais is snarky and taking the piss, it's funny. These two just were making lots of political points, which is fine, don't have a problem with that, but wasn't funny 
Oh, I didn't mind the opening. I thought that was one of the better parts of the show. Mm-hmm. Um, I dis- I really disliked when Maya Rudolph came up and did her little skit about, if anyone can tell me what it was about, let me know, because I still I don't know what it was that. about. I, I, you know what I liked? Because that was car crash TV, and that's what I want from award shows. And, and, and I want to take you up on something else too, because you can do entertainment when you're got people in different locations. Of course you can. Plenty of yeah, shows yeah. are doing that now. You know, every night the Ange Robin Robbo show does a show where three people or four people, five people are interacting, hopefully having a laugh and providing some laughs at times. And it is possible. I just think producers of award shows have lost that idea of what makes them entertaining. You know, where remember Billy Crystal and would have constant jokes. Jack Palance would do one-armed push-ups. You know, like, there was always some memorable moment to take away from award ceremonies. Now, they are just bland and they seem so far up their bum. Because back in the just... day, it was about entertaining the wider audience and today yes. it's just about patting themselves on the back. And if you don't yes. win at the Golden Globes, then you might win at the Emmys. And if you didn't win there, there's 3,000 other award ceremonies that you can put <laughs> yourself in for and win and it's like it's all about look i've got like 18 participation trophies and they don't give a shit about the audience at home it is truly just about themselves and it's boring and that's why i don't watch it especially with the globes because really the only point that the globes have is to sort of set the tone for the rest of the awards season no one actually cares about the golden globes they mean nothing 89 people vote for them and it's not a diverse 89 people so that's the entire voting can i ask you about that Yes. What is diversity? Yeah. Because they that organisation, which I think is a joke, but moving on from that, <laughs> is made up of people from all these different countries. So, like, you've got Indian women, you've got Turkish people. Yes, she came up people, on stage, yes. You know, yes, which we saw on stage. So what we're talking about from a diversity point of view is black Americans, well, yes, but, I th- and that's because that's the tenor in the in America at the moment. It's about sure, but this yeah. is the Hollywood Foreign Press Association, so it's made up of people from all around the world. Yes. It's probably one of the most diverse places, but without black Americans. Yes, or black Africans, or black yeah, black yeah. people. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And I think that was the point they were making. And I thought it was interesting that they didn't shy away from addressing that controversy. It had been quite um, public leading up to it. Um, and, you know, Tina and Amy mentioned it in their opening. Jane Fonda referenced, referenced it, uh, referenced it um, in her acceptance speech. And then, of course, we saw the three members of the Hollywood Foreign Press Association come on stage and deliver a perfectly acceptable, I thought, um, yeah, I did um, speech about how they were looking forward to change. And, yeah, I thought that was, it was good to acknowledge it because otherwise it would have been an elephant in the room. Mm. Um but, yeah, it is very much just about, yeah. I mean, there are plenty of reasons why the Hollywood Foreign Press should be shut down because, you know, like the qualifications of some of these journalists that are part of it is quite interesting. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, it is what it is. But the broadcast was boring, pure yeah, and simple. It was pretty boring. Yeah. Well, we all know the TV industry isn't always glitz and glamour, but Sunrise co-host Samantha Armitage has taken it a step further, claiming the industry is full of sociopaths and narcissists. Speaking to Stella Magazine, she also said, there's a lot about television that's all about you and that's an awful way to live your life. TV isn't a place that's necessarily very healthy. It can be a dangerous environment. Um... (laughs) <laughs> and you've worked extensively in the TV industry. I think she's got a point. Oh, yeah, I was reading it going, yeah, and? Is there a, <laughs> is there a bit of news or revelation coming here at some point? Um, yeah, totally. I mean, it's hugely full of narcissists. It's almost entirely filled with narcissists. <laughs> um, so, some nicer narcissists than others. But, um, yeah, look, it certainly is a, a very tricky uh tricky personality industry that that attracts some people who have you know got some pretty interesting personality quirks along the way me included most people i know included so you you know sarah i've always had a um theory about everyone who works in tv and my theory is 98 percent of people who work behind the scenes actually want to be on camera yes uh well i i think some people i i 
it was funny because no, when I was a kid, I was... There are a few exceptions. Bev McGarvey is one of those exceptions. She does not want to be on camera. And I can think of a handful of others who, just like given an opportunity, would not go on camera. But everyone else all want to be on camera. I think a lot of producers, especially in... Like, even in the States, you see people on E! News or in Australia, it's like you start in production and then you yep. become on-air talent. Um, and I think a lot of people who weren't pretty enough, maybe, or talented enough to be on screen ended up behind Don't the camera. internet shows. But then there's people who have been <laughs> on TV who want to no longer be in front of the camera and end up doing a podcast. something for everyone um i'll tell you what it also does is there's a power imbalance i have heard so many not just executives production people the way they speak about on-air talent is actually quite atrocious they're spoken about like they're thoroughbreds in a way you know they're spoken about like they're horses who when they get too old they're off to the glue factory you know when they're not delivering or you know like they're put down for the way that they are on air which is what connects them to the audience there is so much jealousy in the tv industry it's palpable and the people behind the scenes love having that power over the on-air talent. I'll decide if that person gets to stay on air. I'm going to sideline them. They didn't treat me right. You know, I've seen this time and time again. And it's because people on TV get paid so much money, they are in the public eye, and there is resentment from people from people in power behind the scenes who don't get that acknowledgement, um, Dan. Mm, absolutely, yes. It's... Yeah, I think people like to be thanked and congratulated and if they're not acknowledged as they see that they should be, then, yeah, they'll like to wield that power, as you said, and say, all right, well, you're off that shift now and you're doing breakfast and whatever. So, yeah, I think it is it is a big power game all around. How many times have you been in a meeting where you've heard an executive, the, the screen's been on in the background and they've just started shit-canning a presenter? Oh, well, I mean, I, there are stories I can tell you that I won't tell you because I will be <laughs> hauled in front of a court. Um, but, yeah, look, there have been comments made about high-profile, very really high-profile presenters um, that were completely derogatory and uh, were made just sort of a couple of months preceding them being boned from particular shows. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, look, it's, it's a ruthless business. And certainly I think that... A lot of the talent, not all of them, but a lot of the talent know how to play that game at the beginning and know how to get where they need to be. Um, You know, you sort of work your way through and you make the right friends along the way so they can put you in the positions that you want to be, which gives you the freedom to then step away and say, well, I've had enough now because I've sort of got to where I wanted to go. Mm. Um, So it's games on both sides, but certainly the executive branch is, yeah, And it's it's, not just like live TV, because as a kid, I used to like the guys would go and take cigarette breaks and I would man the camera and put the headphones on and you would hear the people in the control room talking absolute (laughs) shit about the actors on set and talking about who was drunk or who was stoned or who hadn't learned their lines and stuff. And then eventually they'd be like, wait, is Sarah listening? (laughs) (laughs) You were always a smart cookie. But. But the movie Bombshell did it really well because they showed that guy who was in charge, like, having his whole thing about, you know, I mean, it was sexual harassment, but it was just a power trip because he yeah. was like, I, I made you, I can break you, I can throw you off, you can suck my dick and have a TV show, or you can be a nobody, which do you choose? Yeah. And to mm-hmm. me, that's more than sexual harassment. That is just straight up. It's just a power, power, power play. Just, oh, from a di- just from a different perspective, because you guys are looking at it from within the industry. I'm looking at it from someone that's part of the industry, but looking from the outside. I actually felt, felt a bit unsettled by her comments. And it's because, look, I admire people that speak up and call out things like bullying and harassment. Um, they're brave and should come forward. However, there seems to be something about people who get into an industry, get paid a lot of money, and then shit on their own industry. So we have a woman who's on the top-rating breakfast uh, show in Australia, probably being paid handsomely, having people run up to her with coffees and muffins each morning, doing her hair, enjoying the career of perks because you know one job will invariably lead to another she's now doing her own podcast and then she says this industry 
industry is full of sociopaths and narcissists. And when you're on air, you can't say what you want anymore because people are quick to complain. So you're not really being yourself anymore. Complain, whinge, complain, whinge, complain, whinge. She said full of sociopaths. I, I'm sure, I know you said 98%, but, uh, but I'm sure there's people that come to work on cameras and editing, all that kind of stuff that come to work and they're very passionate. They do their job really well. They're kind, they're considerate. But just to sit up there, get paid all that money and just shit on everyone and say we're all, they're all full of sociopaths and narcissists i just think i don't know it doesn't sit well with me i suspect that she used that descriptor as in the same way that i did and but i won't speak for you rob but i don't think we actually mean 98 percent um i think there i don't think it's full of um that was sort of a throwaway line i think but My certainly it was about people who wanted to oh, get on TV. Pardon, sorry, okay. yeah. um but certainly a higher percentage than would probably exist in some other occupations i think is and if it's a written word if you didn't hear her say it she could have said there are some and the journalist made it sound more exciting than it was and put full of. I, I don't know about that, but what I would say, I think she's got every right to say it. Just because you get money from a job that you do doesn't, doesn't mean you mean have to love it. That you can't have an opinion about it. You know, like she's talking about her experiences. She was doing an interview where she was asked about her experiences and she told the truth. She told how she feels. Sam Armitage has gone into this high-profile position, which I'm sure she coveted, but had no idea the ramifications of being in that role, the paparazzi, the constant gossip articles. We will never understand what it's like to be in Sam's shoes because we will never be as high-profile as her. So I I think it's a bit rough to have a go at her for stepping up and saying something. She's doing an interview. She's asked how she feels. She says it. What's the problem? And and I'm telling you, she's right. Mm. She's 100% right. A quick question for you, Rob. Does it feel to you, there's been quite a bit of press um, from Sam lately. Does it feel to you like she's sort of laying the groundwork for stepping aside from Sunrise um, and sort of planting that seed with the audience that, you know, she's getting a little bit restless. It may be time to move on soon. So that if at the end of the next contract she steps away, the audience are kind of primed for it and she's given them a bit of warning. I don't. It wouldn't be a surprise to me if Sam Armitage leaves within the year. Um, I think that she has certainly brought very. She's shone very brightly taking that role at Sunrise, and it has been. It has had more focus with her in the role than it did with Mel. So uh-huh. Mel, the show built and built and built, and then Mel and Koshi became you know these household names but there was never the scrutiny like there has been with Sam. And I think it is pretty intense to live with that day in and day out. She wants to go back to the country. She's settling down, maybe deciding to have kids, which is always a good part of the Sunrise narrative, you know, sharing the baby, connecting with the audience. But I actually get the feeling she's over it. I don't know how happy things are or unhappy behind the scenes at Sunrise. But I I think that her speaking out like this certainly says she's getting over it. And my hot tip would be next contract she won't renew. Hopefully whenever she goes, she's happy. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, there'll there'll be something out there and maybe she could stay with Seven and do the odd special and, you know, something where she's still on contract but only doesn't have to do that daily grind and don't forget as high profile as that gig is you're getting up at three o'clock in the morning you can't stay up late you can't really go to parties you if you do you're paying for it and then trying to catch up it's a tough life yes they get paid a lot of money to do it but it's a tough life aaron oh i bet it is all right now it's time for hatches and dispatches with sarah thanks rob well, Nine's boardroom could soon be free of Fairfax influence, with Patrick Alloway, a key director, confirming his resignation. The board now has just two members from Fairfax, whose futures are said to be uncertain, with sources claiming they are also considering resigning. Supercars has renegotiated its broadcast deal with Seven West Media after legal letters were served. It was announced that KO Sports would stream popular races for free, breaching Seven's exclusivity provisions. Anonymous sources say that included in the renegotiations was the removal of the requirement that Seven generate a particular amount of advertising and sponsorship money. 
Seven have confirmed that family-friendly game show Ultimate Tag will premiere this Sunday, the 7th of March at 7pm. Hosted by Matt Shervington and Abby Gelney, players must make their way through huge obstacle courses without getting caught. Shocking footage has emerged of a Channel 9 security guard being attacked in Melbourne. The offenders, belonging to a neo-Nazi extremist group, wanted to speak to staff of A Current Affair who were airing a story about them that night. AFL icon and recent I'm a Celebrity contestant Dipper has separated from his wife of 41 years with the rumoured cause that he had sent an ex-girlfriend flowers and champagne for Valentine's Day. Entertainment reporter Peter Ford has revealed that his wife posted to social media saying she was devastated and broken over the breakdown. And legend of sports commentating Bruce McAvaney is cutting down on his duties retiring from AFL commentating. He has said he needs to reduce his workload, but will still be heard on racing and Olympics coverage. And that is this week's Hatches and Dispatches. Thank you, Sarah. A big loss with Bruce leaving, but I've got to say, something seems off about that. Why didn't he say goodbye, Aaron, when he was doing his last broadcast? Why was there no statement from the network? This seems rushed. It seems you know, not to be made a big deal of. It was done on the Sunday night news and and everyone was like, oh, wow. Um, He's pointing out that he's not retiring and he's still available to do stuff on 7. I don't know. My antenna's up on this one. I don't know if it was his decision. The guy is an absolute legend of of sport. Um, He would be greatly missed and with... um... Dennis Committee already gone. It feels like we're going into a new era with the AFL without Dennis Committee and Bruce McAvaney. But, yeah, you're right. It is an interesting timing. You know, a couple of weeks out before the start of the AFL season, there was no big press release, no big... There was kind of nothing. So it does feel like something's going on, but um, maybe he just decided that, you know, enough's enough, but... It is weird. Maybe, but if he decided that, Dan, and nothing is going on, the way it's been handled leads you to believe something is going on. Mm. Yeah, it was certainly an underwhelming announcement. Maybe they tried to bury it because they just didn't want people to make a big deal of it because it will be such a huge loss. Well, I I think they're at the changing of the guard. You know, Hamish McLaughlin has been stepping in to host the coverage Mm -hmm. now. Um, I don't know. Smells fishy to me. I hope it was Bruce's choice. I really do. But when we went to Seven for a statement about it, they said, oh, the news report speaks for itself. Uh, okay. okay. Is it, is it just because he's not it, It's not big because he's not actually retiring? A- apparently he's still mm. going to be doing the horse racing. He, he's going to be part of the Tokyo Olympics mm. coverage. And he said, he, he, said he may even be hosting AFL. So, you know, the, the chat part, but he's just not going to commentate. Is, is, is that the reason why it wasn't? When he decides to retire from Seven, maybe there will be a big... Yeah, probably right. Maybe, but this is big news. This is big news. He's the voice of AFL. The idea that he's stepping down, look at it. Just by the sheer fact they ran a story, it's become news everywhere. It's taken on a life of its own. So Seven were trying to underplay it for those reasons. It hasn't worked. And it just reminds me of other times when the network haven't liked the announcement and they haven't done a, a statement. You know, like it's not hard to do a statement just saying he's done a wonderful job. We look forward to continuing our association with Bruce. He'll always be part of the Seven family. There you go. You know, use that, Seven. You're welcome to it. All right, coming up on the TV Black Box, we will be talking to Beck from Married at First Sight. She's got some really interesting insight into why she has become a social media pariah and we'll open our own TV binge box where we'll tell you what we've been watching this week. 
These are real confessions. Saying I've wanted to kill my mother since I was eight years old. From real serial killers. I've just got to be violent. Best-selling true crime author Amanda Howard doesn't just talk about their crimes. She talks directly to them. It's all getting a bit much, really. It's the podcast that goes where others fear to tread. Monsters Who Murder. Serial Killer Confessions. Subscribe now in your favourite podcast feed. Married at First Sight is the golden goose for Channel 9 that just keeps delivering. The show has returned for its 2021 season and audiences don't seem to be able to get enough. As usual, there's been plenty of controversy and Rebecca has been at the centre of a lot of that controversy. She joined us on the Andrew Robin Robbo show right after the dinner party went to air on Monday night. <laughs> Welcome to the Andrew Robin Robbo show, Beck. Yes, hi, how's it going? Good, good, good. Ah, the drama tonight. Look, I don't even know where to begin with tonight's dinner party. What was your big takeout? Because a lot went down. Yeah, look, first dinner party isn't always going to be easy, especially when you have only met the girls briefly. And I think everyone wanted Mm. to set a really good first impression. Uh, And some didn't. So there was a little bit of, I guess, heated controversy, especially between Coco and Sam. Um, but yeah, the first dinner party brings all the drama. So obviously, um, Cam and Samantha took um, centre stage, right? When they <gasps> dun, 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 came separately. Tell us what that was like, how that dramatic moment unfolded. Uh, so I actually walked in after Samantha had entered and hadn't really realised she had entered alone. So I was quite shocked that there was already a marriage crumbling forward. I thought mine was going bad. So walking in and seeing that, I felt kind of slightly relieved, to be honest, uh, knowing that I wasn't the only one really struggling at that time. Yeah, exactly. So let's let's pick up on that, Beck and Tati, because, you know, obviously they weren't the only ones who are, you know, stealing all of the glitch. So your relationship with, with Jake certainly took a lot of spotlight. Um, were you surprised that even the experts were talking about, um, you know, the way that you were speaking to him? Yeah, I think a lot of couples took the approach of just playing it really nice with each other, not bringing up any issues. However... Jake and I, from the start, decided let's just be completely honest. It's an experiment. We didn't choose each other. Let's find out why we were actually matched rather than tiptoeing around an entire experiment on what we do like and then whispering to the girls about what we don't like. The thing with Jake (laughs) and I, we said it to each other's face and as you'll see it unfold, can't give any spoilers, um, it kind of works in our favour. Ah, now this is interesting. Because I love your honesty. And when I had the experts on, I talked about the moment when how you had a rocky start with Jake and the experts were saying this is part of the process. It's not all sunshine and lollipops to begin with, but then things can change. But let's remind ourselves what happened when you had your first reactions to Jake at the wedding. Uh, First impressions weren't quite what I expected. I thought I'd see... You know, this really happy, amazing smile, but I got more of a, ooh, she's hot kind of face, which put me off a little bit. Yeah. He's looking at me like I am sex on a stick. Now... (laughs) (laughs) It's interesting. Once again, I come back to your honesty. And I was shocked when I first heard that comment. And I flipped and flopped reacting to that because I thought to myself, if I had been in that situation, I think I would have said, this isn't going to work. Let's move on. But it was interesting for me speaking to the experts when they said, you can't do that because you need to see where things go. Um, But one thing that did interest me is where that comment came from within you. And I started to think, does that comment come from a place within you because you've always felt judged on your looks and not your brain? Yeah, uh, look, when I pictured my wedding day, it was very hard not having, I guess, your family and friends around for that support. Your your emotions are already heightened. You know, we've spent two weeks before that in, in hotel quarantine and things like that. So to come out and finally meet your partner that you have been spending literally two weeks dreaming and thinking like this is the man of your dreams. I guess 
past relationships, past experience with guys, I have a trigger and trigger for me is wolf, wolf whistling. So as soon as I walked down the aisle and I got that, it was like that inner switch in me and, and it turned very fast. If he wasn't to whistle at me like he did, it probably would have been different, but my yeah. balls went straight up. Um, I was going through, I guess, past trauma I've had with guys and this kind of stuff happening. And yeah, it was, it was downhill pretty fast. <laughs> but that's the thing I've got to ask you. Um, does it come from that place that you had this fantasy in your, eye, in your mind's eye of what that day would be like? Absolutely. I, I think it was just what I thought would happen versus reality. And the conversation wasn't flowing. I thought in my mind, I was convinced I was getting someone who just wanted to talk and laugh and banter. And as soon as I got that awkward silence, staring, wolf whistling, I was, I was in my absolute depth. I don't think I've ever felt so uncomfortable around someone before. So yeah, that was me putting Mm. my walls up. Absolutely. I mean, you know, reality TV, I imagine, at the best of times, is absolutely terrifying. And, um, you know, I've, I've been um, doing TV in front of the camera for like 25 years, but I'm just about to star, yes, star, on <laughs> And I'm just wondering, because I'm picking up a lot from what you're saying, but what, what wise counsel would you give somebody like me going into reality TV for the first time? Don't do it. No. I quit. Look, you have two options. You have the option of being yourself and going through the experience and then just watching the edit because it's always going to be different to what happens. Or you can be that person that just bites your tongue and doesn't say anything and kind of keeps it all in and has that awkward feeling inside. So at the end of the day, if you're going to do it, you have to. I think you have to just go all in and be yourself. I don't think Angel will be biting her tongue. Yeah, like, <laughs> what makes you say that, Rob? <laughs> just a hint. <laughs> I can say, be yourself. The edit will always change what actually happens. You know, there were so many other moments at my wedding where Jake made me feel very objectified. So the comments to me are very valid, even though uh, most of Australia can't quite see that at the moment. Well, look, let me ask you one final question, just a quickie, without giving away what ultimately happens with you and Jake. Do you start to see another side of him as you get to know him and that objectification? I feel like you're teaching him along the way of what's acceptable and what's not. Do do things start to turn around? Yeah, I feel I still hold my ground in regards to wanting to be an open, honest person. Uh, the experts do give me a little bit of advice, which I needed probably on my wedding day, not on first <laughs> ceremony. Uh, yeah, I went in to, you know, take it on board because I want to change, you know, how I am towards guys and, you know, the whole sasshole thing. It literally comes not towards me and my friends. It's how I treat guys because I put my walls up and I get so scared. So the experts really help me break those walls down and, um, yeah, maybe things do take a turn for the better. Oh, brilliant. I can't wait to watch. And I am addicted to this season. Uh, Married at First Sight continues tomorrow at 7.30 and pretty much uh, all through the week, uh, including Sunday. Keep watching it. Beck, thanks for joining us on the Anne, Rob and Robbo show. No worries. My pleasure. And good luck on um, your housewife show. That's a lot. Thanks, darling. I'm going to need it. Great for me. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be watching We are very lucky on the Androb and Robbo show to get those kind of interviews and thank you, especially 9 and 7, who give us lots of interviews. You can see those at 9pm each Monday to Thursday, Australian Eastern Daylight Time. Just go to facebook.com slash the ARR show. Um, We think the show's coming together really nicely and we've got Angelie Rao now, Dan, who I know you know. Yes. uh, Well, I don't know her personally, but yes. You know who she is, yes. yes. Um, She's a former CNN anchor and she's also going to be starring in The Real Housewives of Melbourne. And she's been dropping little nuggets along the way on the show. So uh, if if you want to know what's happening on... Real Housewives of Melbourne, there is no better place to go. Mm. <laughs> Rob, is, is, that, is that Monday to Thursday at 9pm, Australian Eastern Daylight Savings Time on all the socials? Is that correct? 
That's right, mate. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> and for you in Perth, where do you find it? What time is, is it on for you? Six o'clock. So I, uh, I yeah. usually watch the news at six o'clock, but now I um, have to watch the news at seven o'clock on the ABC because I'm always <laughs> tuned in. <laughs> uh, you know, a lot of people are getting their news from the AR show, but look, I've gone on too long about it. I apologise. Look, it's time to open our own TV binge box, and we've got the man from the actual TV binge box podcast here. Um, this year I decided to bring it back home to its original home and do a shorter version. The guys are still doing the full podcast. It returned this week. So, Dan, I think we should start off with you. What have you been watching this week? All right. Well, I saved a couple of special ones just for this podcast because there's always so much to talk about. I am loving Clarice on Stan. Ah. So this is the Rebecca Breeds, Aussie Rebecca Breeds um, series, which is a following on from The Silence of the Lambs. Um, it has all the elements of a CBS procedural. Most of the crimes are sort of weekly crimes, but they are doing it in a really interesting way, a fantastic way. It's a compelling. Beck is fantastic in the role that Jodie Foster originated. They have done a really wonderful job. This slots in direct... It's a direct sequel to The Silence of the Lambs. So it picks Clarice up just a few months after the Buffalo Bill uh, story uh, comes to a close. It has a lot of the same... The only character, really, that doesn't follow through from the movie is Hannibal. Right. Um, and it can't be mentioned, but all the other characters are there um, and have been reinvented and rebooted in a really interesting way. I'm, yeah, all over this series, I think it's fab. And I also want to give a shout-out to, played earlier uh, over the summer, the Kaylee Cuoco comedy drama The Flight Attendant. Love that. She missed the Golden Globe yesterday for lead actress in a comedy and I was really rooting for her because I thought it was a brilliant performance Mm. in that role. She was so, Mm. so good. The show was not what I expected it to be but in a very great way. Usually those kinds of things would irritate me. Um, Sort of, you know, jumping between dream sequences and all that sort of stuff but the way they tonally pitched it was just so spot on and yeah, it was a revelation for me in terms of Kaylee's range and I can't wait to season two which i think is coming later this year sarah what have you been watching uh we watched some below deck uh sailing yacht um <laughs> just because you know it's always below deck. <laughs> it's, i live on a boat um and uh sailing yacht was not that great um we watched dr sleep which was the sequel kind of thing to the shining mm-hmm. um that was uh different and um, we watched, because we were getting the dog, we were like, what kind of dog movies are on Netflix? And we actually ended up watching a documentary called Pick of the Litter, which is about um, five puppies that are born into the guide dog program. And it follows mm. them through their first year and a half until they, which one ends up becoming a guide dog and the other ones that wash out. It was actually fascinating. Aaron, what about you? Uh, well, being the new season, uh, I started watching a couple of new shows and Nine's the hot property at the moment. So I watched this Space Invaders, which is about, you know, decluttering and all this sort of stuff. It just It's just amazing that you don't realise how some people actually live. Like this cluttering business, some people actually can't even walk in their bedrooms. Like they actually walk over stuff and actually crushing stuff. And there's nothing like it's comp- it's kind of sad, really. But anyway, that was kind of an interesting show to watch. Um, uh, and the other one is Amazing Grace, which I think starts this week on Nine. You know, it's a Sigrid Thornton and, uh, you know, new Australian drama on Nine. The problem with that show is, is that there wasn't any actual problems with it, like pointing out problems with the storyline or problems with the production i don't know it just feels like the same it's just like the same australian drama that we see i feel like i've watched this show before somewhere it's like house husbands but set in a um birthing place i just i don't know so underwhelming watching some australian dramas it's just it's just like it's just it's like we have five ideas for a drama and then just slightly offshoot that idea you know, mm. America are coming up with a lot of new sort of ways and takes on stuff. And, um, it, yeah, it's just, it's okay. I'm sure people will enjoy it. It's just the same thing, though. The networks need Dan Bennett in there making ideas. Oh, thank you, Rob. <laughs> yes, Dan, and writing storylines. <laughs> um, I haven't seen Amazing Grace. I'm looking forward to checking it out, though. 
I have been watching Married at First Sight and I'm actually really enjoying it. I slowed down on Superstore, which I've been watching every week because uh, I got scared because I was on season five and that's all that was on Netflix. Then I discovered Foxtel have got season six with their on-demand service, so I can now start re-watching, start watching season five. Um, I've also been watching Bridgerton, but the big show and WandaVision, can't go past WandaVision, but the big show, the, the new show I watched this week was Superman and Lois, which is the best Superman show in years. I always loved uh, Lois and Clark back in the day. Smallville was really, I got bored with Smallville very, very quickly, I've got to say. I didn't think that was much. It was a good show for the first couple of years and then just uh, got terrible. But uh, Superman and Lois is great. Superman and Lois uh, parents, uh, they actually go back to Smallville where they have to uh, Superman has to reveal his identity to his kids. It's a bit of a game changer. And I've only seen episode one so far, but I absolutely love it. If you even half like Superman, forget all the others, go with Superman and Lois. It's got heart, it's got drama, and it's got a compelling storyline. Uh, it's really, really good. Uh, all right. Well, that brings us to the end of this edition of TV Black Box. Don't forget for more exclusives, reviews, recaps, and everything you need from the TV industry, just go to tvblackbox.com.au. Don't forget Dan is also back with the TV Binge Box podcast with Mark Brookie and Joe Casamento. Uh, Sarah, thank you for being with us. Aaron, thank you for being with us. And Dan, it was so good to see you again. Good to be back. Thanks for having me. We'll see you next week, guys. Bye, everyone. Bye. Ah.